we've been in a series called Behold New, and um, God impressed upon my heart today that more than anything else, um, we just need to hear the gospel. We try our best to share the gospel with every single message that we preach. We try to share the good news of the hope that exists in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we need to just hear that and that alone. And today was one of those days. Sometimes our vision is clouded. Sometimes we cannot see clearly. Sometimes we think that we see clearly when we really don't. I don't know about you, but I don't like getting old. I've come to the realization recently that I am getting old. I don't know why it just hit me now at 42 years old that I'm getting old, but turns out um, I was having problems seeing my cell phone and I thought about remedying that situation by doing what everybody else does which is to get a bigger cell phone some of you that are carrying around an iPad right now you know what I'm talking about I decided it was time to maybe go to the eye doctor and I kept making appointments and trying to go and I kept having issues or scheduling issues where I would have meetings scheduled on top of my eye appointment so I couldn't go, and that was a great excuse for me to not go, and that way I didn't have to hear that my eyesight is bad and that um, I was getting old, right? So it was a good excuse for me to not realize I was getting old. Um, but uh, as it would happen, I finally got tired of it, and I decided on Friday to go to the eye doctor. I had an exam, and he confirmed, yes, indeed, I am old. Um, it turns out that I need to have glasses, so in a couple of weeks, I will be revealing to you uh, the old Kenny Nicks, um, so uh, your pastor is about to get old really quick, so uh, just be prepared for that. I'm trying to prep you ahead of time, that way you aren't just in shock when I show up here with glasses on, okay? Um, the, the lady at the eye doctor, she said, yeah, that happens to all of us, our arms get shorter, you know, as we... We get the T-Rex arms. We try to hold our phones out this far so we can see it a little better. Um, I, I understand that struggle. I was starting to have that struggle. Um, so now I'm going to remedy that situation by having glasses that I will wear, mostly when I'm reading, mostly when I'm looking at my computer all day at work, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I won't be wearing them all the time. It'll be mostly like old people do, just wear them when I read, okay? So more than likely, uh, you'll see me up here with those on. If I can resist it, I may resist it for a period of time and go without the glasses and just pretend that I'm young, uh, but eventually I will have to go to the glasses and realize that I'm old. So just know that that is coming. I want to prep you for that. Uh, my daughter Cassie and I were talking the other day. Uh, she brought this up to me, actually, and it made me start thinking. She was like, what was it like when people first realized they couldn't see, like they had vision problems? Uh, that they actually needed glasses because there was a point in time in history where there were no glasses there were no glasses right you couldn't see better so how did people even know that I can't see what you can see you know how, how, do, how do I know that, that that like you know the leaves look different to you than they look to me you know how, how, how do you know that you know and how what a revolution how revolutionary it must have been once people put on something that could allow them to see I mean can you imagine not being able to see and all of a sudden you can see clearly um, you know, and not even realizing that was a thing? How amazing is that? And it, it led me right to this particular passage. Um, 
in Luke chapter 10 uh, where the, the reason Jesus came, in case you didn't know, is because people couldn't see clearly. That's the reason he came. Because people thought that they were seeing clearly, it turns out that they were not. They thought that they had the right idea and the right vision of what it meant to have a relationship with God, but it turns out that they were ignoring the most important part of having a right relationship with God, which was to have a right heart, and that heart to be in right relationship with God. There are a lot of people today, maybe even in this room, that believe that if I do all the right things, if I go to church, if I show up on Sundays and Wednesdays, then I am a Christian. If I check all these boxes, then I have arrived. I look like every other person that comes in here on Sundays. Therefore, if I look like them, I must be a Christian. And Jesus came for the sole purpose of setting that record straight and saying, you think you understand, but you don't see clearly. You think that you know what it means to be connected with God, but the reality is, is that you're doing a bunch of th stuff externally, and the reality is there is no difference in your heart, therefore you do not belong to me. You are not mine. There are many people today that live with this wrong vision of God. Many. You can turn on the TV and you can see false preachers leading people astray and you can see scores and scores of people that believe that they are in right relationship with God. But the reality is is that their heart is not turned towards God. Their heart is not one that, it, that seeks after God. Their heart in actuality seeks after another God, not the God of this Bible. It seeks after another God, and that God is themselves. They desire to exalt themselves. Therefore, they do not worship the God of this Bible. And it is idolatry, and they do not have a right relationship with God, and they are not Christians. Jesus impressed upon my heart that I needed to tell you the truth, and you needed to understand the gospel as it is written, and what is really meant when God says that you're one of mine. What is really meant when God says, count, what it, count the cost of being my disciple. Follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. We talked about this the other day with a group of mine that God was saying, take up your instrument of torture and come after me. That doesn't sound to me like exalting yourself, which is what so many people preach and teach and so many people want to hear today. Jesus says, take up your instrument of torture and come after me. There are many in, in Jesus' day that they understood God's law. They understood the commandments. They understood exactly what it meant to check all the boxes, but they did not understand Jesus. And oftentimes they would try to catch Jesus. They would try to say something to Jesus and ask him a question so that they could trap him in such a way that they would have a reason to kill him. This was the Son of God. If you have a heart in tune with God, do you think, do you really think that you would have missed the Son of God when he was standing right in front of you? 
don't care how much of the Bible you know, you can still miss the Son of God. I don't care if you have every word in this book memorized, you can still know every word and miss the Son of God. Some people in Jesus' day were expert, experts in religious law, and we see one of those in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 10, beginning of verse 25. It says this, One day, an expert in religious law, an expert in religious law, this is what in some of your versions we call a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus by asking him a question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? The first thing I want to point out to you is this is a teacher of religious law, and here he is asking Jesus a question, obviously is to test him. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is the most important question to ask. For every person in here, you should be asking this question. This should be on your heart and on your mind all the time, and this should be a discussion you have with other people. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he was even going so far as asking the right person. He was asking the Son of God the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? God, tell me what it means to have a right relationship with you so I can spend eternity in your presence. This is a question that every single one of us will have to give an answer to. Whether you're on this earth and you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, or when you're standing face to face to him, and, he, and all the words have disappeared and he's just looking at your heart, you'll still have to answer this question. This guy was not asking because he wanted to know. He was asking because he was trying to trap Jesus, and he was also asking to show how much he knew about the law of God. Self-exaltation is what this guy was all about. Jesus replied, it's a simple reply. What does the law of Moses say? And how, how do you read it? So here is God himself in the flesh asking a human being, what's your interpretation of what I've written, what I've written down? This is the words of eternal life that have come down from heaven. And you have them written down. How do you read it? Now, every time God asks a question... God is giving what? An invitation, right? If you've learned anything here at Simple Church, you know that when God asks a question, when Jesus asks a question, that he is not asking because he does not know. He is asking because he is giving you an invitation. Just like when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they had sinned, and they ran off, and they hid from God. And God starts calling out, where are you? Now, is that because God does not know where Adam and Eve are? The, the, the one that spoke all of creation into existence, does he not know where Adam and Eve are? Is he walking around blind? No, he is giving them an invitation, come to me, show yourself to me. Here, Jesus asked a question to this teacher of religious law. Somebody who's supposed to be an expert in religious law. How do you read it? What do you, what do you think? He's giving this man an invitation. The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's a good answer. 
As a matter of fact, that's the answer that Jesus gives. That's a good answer to summarize all the commandments together. Is to love God and love your neighbor. That's a good answer. He even gives the right answer. Do you know that you can speak the right answer without ever really knowing the right answer? This is what happens in Christianity a lot of times. A lot of times kids will grow up in church. And they'll know every answer they're supposed to give when it comes to Bible questions. When, when people ask them a question about what it means to be a Christian, they will give the perfect answer. They will say exactly what they're supposed to say. It will be crystal clear. Obviously, this person knows. But there is a tremendous difference between knowing what to say and your heart saying something different. You can know all the words. You can confess with your mouth. But if you don't believe in your heart, it's not real. There are so many people today that will confess with their mouth, but they don't know with their heart. Therefore, they are not saved. What you know about the gospel should be an overflow of your heart that comes out as the gospel of Jesus Christ. But instead, it's like memorizing something, right? And... My daughter's school, one of the things that they used to do was really big on this. They, they would memorize a verse of Scripture. And that's, hey, that's a great thing. I believe in memorizing Scripture, absolutely. And, and you would have all these kids, 30-something kids in a class, and you say, can you recite the Scripture? And yeah, they could recite it. As a matter of fact, they got a good grade. They checked the box. Amen, good job. Now you ask them, what does that Scripture mean? Well, I don't know. I don't have a clue. <laughs> then you ask them a harder question than that. Because some of them might be able to say, well, here's what Miss So-and-so said. What does that scripture mean to you? Oh, I really don't know now. That's why parents, in case you're wondering, we're supposed to teach our kids scripture. Not just say scripture, not just read scripture, supposed to teach them scripture, teach them what it means, real life application. And by the way, that real life application, if they don't see it in you, they will not believe it when it comes from your mouth. You can speak it all day long, but you know what a kid sees? A kid sees your heart. A kid sees your heart. They, they know mommy and daddy, and they know you really well. And they know you even better when they become a teenager. When they're faced with some of the stuff in life, and they go, hmm, yeah, I know what mom and dad are really all about, regardless of what they said or regardless of how many church services they attended. And you know I'm right, right? This man knew the right things to say. He knew the perfect thing to say, and he's even asking the right one. He's asking the right questions. And Jesus does something here. Because this man is lost. This man does not know what it means to have a right relationship with God. And Jesus, he comes to test Jesus, but Jesus actually tests him. 
A lot of people get this scripture all mixed up, and they, we're going to read about the Good Samaritan, okay? And everybody knows what a Good Samaritan is, right? It doesn't matter if you're a Christ follower or not. A lot of people have heard, I mean, the secular world has heard of what it means to be a Good Samaritan. Somebody that just does good, right? And a lot of people read the scripture, and they see, and they say, oh, well, this is about a person who does good. Somebody, even you can go, so even as far as to say this is a bad person who does something good. But it's about more than that. That's only the, the surface level. That's only the top layer. Jesus speaks on the top layer, absolutely. But he also speaks way deeper than that. It can, and the more you look, the deeper it gets. And the closer you get to Christ, the more you understand and the deeper it gets. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. Jesus agrees with this man, this lawyer. Right, he says. Exclamation point. Right. Do this, and you will live. Perfect answer. I think Jesus gives this answer knowing full well this man's about to ask another question. Jesus is the God of the universe, incarnate as a human being, right? So he knows what's coming next. He knows what's about to happen. And I think that this man reveals himself by asking another question. He reveals his heart by asking another question. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? You see, you have to understand that in the Jewish tradition, the way they kind of been raised up and the th way that they thought that it, it, was, it was okay for them to hate people that didn't know God. That it was okay for people that, that were obviously outside of the Jewish faith, that were obviously outsiders looking in, that it was even okay to hate them. If they hated God, then we can hate them. And there's a lot of people that even have this mentality in today's world. Christians. Christians who do not look at others that don't know God with compassion, but instead look at them with hatred. They're no different than this lawyer. This lawyer that was trying to test Jesus, and Jesus ended up testing him. The man asked a question, who is my neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the only question then it becomes, well, who's my neighbor? Is it that, that person who is Jewish in their faith? They've got a Jewish family, Jewish heritage, but yet they aren't going to the temple to make the sacrifices that they make. Maybe if we really get out there, then that might be the person that we're talking about. Or maybe we're talking about somebody who has sinned greatly against God, done something really bad. And maybe that's my neighbor that I'm supposed to love. Boy, that would be a real stretch for me, God, to love that person who has done something so bad, yet as a follower of God that I'm supposed to be so close to you. They had gone so far as to justify their hatred by saying, you know what, if they hate God, then I can hate them, and that's okay. And Jesus comes to set the record straight. And he comes and he says, look at your heart. Look at your, your heart, you religious lawyer. Look at your heart. So Jesus tests him. 
Jesus replied with a story. Jesus spoke in stories. Sometimes he would do that because people that were not followers of him, people that did not have a right relationship with God, they wouldn't be able to understand what he was saying. He, he would speak in parables, so not so that they would be able to understand. He would say stuff so that they couldn't understand. So that only those that had that right relationship with him and God would be able to understand what was being said. Now, some people that, that don't have a right relationship with God, they will not understand the scripture. If you are, today are not a, not a Christian, there's a very, very good chance that you will not be, under, be able to understand what is said here. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, everybody knows this story, right? Everybody has heard this story. Everybody knows this story. But my question is not whether you know this story. My question is, do you know God? Here's a man traveling down to Jericho from Jerusalem. Now, you've heard a million preachers a million different times that say, this is what they say. This is a very scary road. It's got, it's got cliffs and rocks and bandits would hide out there and very scary place. That's true. Absolutely true. I've never been there. I've never seen it. There are some preachers that preach about it. They've actually been there and they've seen the rocks. Bravo. That's awesome. But here Jesus is setting up something and he says, there's a man, he's Jewish and he, he, he's beaten up. He's traveling down this road. It's a very scary, very dangerous road. And he's beaten up. They take all of his clothes. Most likely he was left with just his undergarments. He's laying in a ditch half dead. It doesn't sound like a very happy story, does it? Jesus is setting up something here. And it's supposed to reveal something about this lawyer's heart. And my prayer is that it will reveal something about your heart. It's not just about somebody doing good. Because we know how the story goes. I'll go ahead and read it. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. So here we see a couple of examples. We see, okay, here's a guy that he's half dead, naked, beaten up, laying there on the side of the street. And a priest comes by. Now, I'm sure when the religious lawyer heard this, he may have been like, oh, good, hey. We're, we're about to, to hear something good because a priest surely, not only is, is a priest supposed to know the law of God, but he's supposed to lead people in the law of God. Surely he's going to come over and show compassion on this guy, help him in some way. There have been a thousand excuses made up for why he didn't. Some people say, well, maybe he was on his way to the temple and he didn't want to defile himself by touching this man. All kinds of junk. This person doesn't exist. Jesus made him up, Okay. We can't make up a lot of other things. It's basically about a man who is a priest who's supposed to know and do what the law of God says. And here, he doesn't do anything. He walks by on the other side of the road. No desire to get close. No desire to get in the middle of whatever's going on here. And he just walks by, right? And then we see a Levite. He comes by, you know. A temple assistant, which would have been a Levite. Walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. So this is a dude. To me, this is almost worse. I don't know about you. But somebody that is a temple assistant, this is somebody that also would have known the word of God very well. They would have known 
Scripture very well. They would have known that the law of God is to love people. And this is a guy who actually walked up to him, saw the condition, and then walked away. That's a pretty bad situation, right? Where somebody walks up to him, sees how desperate his situation is, and then walks away to the other side. Not just keeps walking by, but goes to the other side of the road to walk away. He's going out of his way to walk away. And, and both of these would have kind of put these people in, in a bad light, absolutely. Is Jesus trying to sh- say that? Absolutely. But let's look at what Jesus goes on to say. Then a despised Samaritan. He calls them despised Samaritan. Then a despised Samaritan. Samaritans were despised by Jewish people because they were half-breeds. They were people that, that, did, they, they were people that, that weren't truly Jewish and they, they, they bred into Jewish society and they kind of mixed up and polluted the religion and, and they, they were just looked at as bad people. So much so that, that they were looked at as, you know what, they could be killed and it's not a big deal and who cares, so what kind of thing, right? And that's the way that they were looked at. They were despised. They were despised. As a matter of fact, when they came back out of exile, some of the Samaritans disrupted the rebuilding, rebuilding of the, the temple. Just like, according to the Jewish people, these would have been despised people. And a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling them, Take care of this man. If its bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I am here. So this is a man who sees somebody in desperation, right, in a desperate situation. And he doesn't just walk by on the other side of the road. He doesn't walk up to him and see that he's in a bad situation and walk to the other side of the road and walk up. No, he loves him lavishly. If you read the original text, it's really talking about the way he, he poured olive oil on him and the way he cared for him. It was lavishly. And the two silver coins that, that he gave to the innkeeper, this would have been lavish love. Those two silver coins likely would have paid for this man to stay at that inn for two months. It would have been enough for him to, 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 to stay there for two months. And then, and then the Samaritan goes a step further and says, I tell you what, I tell you what, innkeeper, you allow him to stay here as long as he likes. And if his bill runs up higher than this, you pay for whatever. And when, when I come back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of that. I'm going to take care of the debt. This is lavish love extreme love now isn't this kind of setting up the guy the 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 despised samaritan is this kind of setting up him up to be taken advantage of well yeah the innkeeper is like yeah yeah i spent 30 silver coins on this dude to to set him up to take advantage of it potentially but you know what the samaritan doesn't care that's not what matters what matters is this man experiencing lavish love do you know how we are supposed to love other people lavishly extremely 
And Jesus is pointing this out, right? Jesus is pointing this out. Like, this is the kind of love that it takes. Now, immediately, well, let me go ahead and finish it up, and then, then I'll, I'll go back and, and tell you something. Now, which of these three would you say a neighbor to the man who was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits jesus asked and the man replied the one who showed him mercy and then jesus said yes now go and do the same you see i want you to see something here yes this samaritan poured lavish love out on this this man this jewish man who was beside the road beaten and left for, for dead right and he even went so far as to put him up on his own animal and take him to an end and say, you know what, no matter how much he runs up the bill, I'll take care of it. And yes, we're supposed to see that. But the reality is, when we ask ourselves, do we love people like this? The reality is, we're going to say no. Am I right? We're going to look at this and say, I don't love people that way. As a matter of fact, my life may be more like the priest or the Levite that just walked on by. That's probably more like me. Or maybe I would have gone so far as to take care of him, to put bandages on him, then I probably would have went away. If I could get him to stand on his feet, then yeah, I probably would have just gone my way and said, you know what, he'll be fine. Maybe I'll go so far as to give him a coat to cover him up for the fact that he is naked. Maybe. But would any of us, truly, if we were to drive down the road here, would any of us go to the extent that this man went to? Would we take him down to the courtyard and say, you know what, you stay here as long as necessary. I don't care if you stay here for two years, I'll take care of the bill. The answer to that question is no. It's no. You see what Jesus was trying to reveal to this religious lawyer? It's the same thing that he's trying to reveal to you and I. It's the same story that he's trying to show us the reality of this fact. You can't do it. You can't. You won't. Your heart that is naturally rebellious against God will not lavishly love like this. Therefore, therefore, if you, if you are trying to adhere to just the law, if you're trying to adhere just to the words, therefore you will fall short. You will always fall short. Jesus is telling this man, this religious lawyer, you know what he's telling him? You need a Savior. You need a Savior. Your heart is wicked, it is evil, and even if you were to go one step, you would not go the full distance. You need a Savior because you can't. You need a Savior. And the reality is, when we look at this, and we look at ourselves in that situation, and we ask ourselves these questions and we say would i do that would i do that the answer is going to be no it's going to be no you can't reveal to somebody that they need a savior until you reveal to them exactly what their heart has inside of it until you show them their sin until you show them exactly what's inside of them they don't recognize that they need a savior and that's the whole purpose behind this passage, is to help this man, this man that was a religious lawyer, to help him see that he needed a Savior. You know why Jesus put this on my heart today? Because somebody in here needs to look at their heart and recognize they need a Savior. 
look at their heart, look what they would do, look at their situation, look where they are, examine themselves and see if they need a Savior. I told you a story before, and I'll tell you again. It's my own personal story about when I came to faith in Jesus Christ. You see, I used to go to church. I was young, and I used to go to church. And there would be times when I would even look around and see other people raising their hands in church and think, man, that's cool. That's really cool that they do that. I wonder what that means. So one day I tried it, right? I said, okay, well, I'm going to raise my hand and see what that feels like. We were singing hymns out of a hymnal, and, and I raised my hand, and I said, I don't get it. This doesn't feel any different than when my hand is down beside my side. You know, what, what's the difference between raising my hands when I sing these songs versus just keeping them in front of me? What's the difference? And I was, I wasn't a bad person. I really wasn't. I wasn't a bad person. I was nine years old. How bad could I really be? But you see, something happened one day. We went to a place in downtown Gadsden and this brother and sister uh, were singing and it was a gospel singing and the testimony of these, this brother and sister was one that was very strong I knew about them see my sister was very good friends with both of them and, 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 and my sister when she first went to the school um, there where they went she didn't really have anybody she was very new to the school and she was kind of lost a little bit and, and and this brother and sister, they reached in, they grabbed her, and they, they pulled her in, and, and they showed her love like nobody else did. So I knew that testimony of these people. And they started to sing, and they sang a gospel hymn or two, and I was sitting there, and I remember, I remember God challenging me to look at my heart, to see what was really inside there, to see if, if, if my life, such that I would reach out to somebody who was brand new in school and didn't have any friends and I didn't know anything about them and would I love them like that? He used their testimony to challenge me and I I remember distinctly begin, I began to look at myself. I began to look at myself in a way I never looked at myself before. I began to see things about myself that I'd never seen before. And I recognized what was inside my heart. I recognized how wicked, how, how desperately wicked and evil my heart really was. And they said, there's no, there's no altar here. There's just a few steps. But if, if, if you feel like you want to come and pray, you're invited to come and pray. I was nine years old, and uh, I can still think back to that moment because I was the only one that walked down there. And I didn't, I didn't understand everything. I didn't know everything. I didn't. I didn't really have a superficial understanding of God's word. But I knew that God was calling me down there. And I could hear his voice. And I could see my heart. That's all I had to know. I had to, I had to hear his voice and see my heart. And that's all I knew. And I walked down there. And I got down. And I felt strongly about an altar because there's something special about it. I walked down and I knelt down like I'd never knelt down before and I couldn't even say anything 
I just cried. I just cried. I cried because I knew how it was. And I cried because I knew who he was. And I knew what he had done. He did that for me. And all I could do was cry. And the brother came down. They stopped singing. The band continued to play because they saw me down there. They knew who I was. And he came down. And he said, Kenny, do you want to know Jesus? You can. You can know him. I don't remember anything else beyond that besides me saying this one word. burden of sin. I want it lifted from me. I see who I am. I know I know what's in my heart. I know how, how terrible it is inside here. I don't want to feel that way anymore. God, in the second when I said that I wanted to know him, he delivered me. He rescued me. He was my father. I'll never sin and I gave it to him and he nailed it to that cross forever I'll never get over that have you given your sin to him have you looked at your heart and said God I know what's in there I know it's evil but I hear you and I know what you do if God has spoken 